Tāku manu te oriori. E nā reo e nā mana, nau mai hoki mai ki te kaupapa o te ahikā, ko Maraia Rakraku tīnei. And this is Te Ahikā, the weekly Māori program giving you an insight into Te Ao Māori. Kia ora tātou katoa. At this moment, the winners of the National Kapahaka competitions, Te Matatini, that's been in Tauranga over the past four days, has been announced. Next week, in a Te Ahikā special, we'll have that coverage, as well as profiles on teams and the combined effort of Matatua Waka as hosts of the biennial festival. But coming up in this week's edition of Te Ahikā... Dr. Paratene Nata died earlier this year and we'll hear how his whanau is challenging how tangihana are carried out. Um, and and we, we believe that tikanga, if it's not pragmatic anymore, then it needs to disappear. Even if, I mean, we can become all academic about it. Uh, but if, it's, if it doesn't have a, a practical application, in our daily lives, then um, it becomes meaningless. Wayne Nutter questioning whether tikanga Māori is a static thing, as his whānau clearly demonstrated was not, at the tangihana of his tuakana, Dr Paratine Nata, that took place earlier this year. That's all before Terry Ryan describes the role Te Rehua Marae in Christchurch played for Māori men apprentices during the late 1950s. Ko te mea tuatahi. He uri no Nazi puna o Nazi afia, o Nazi kuri, o Nazi huruai, o te whanua karuai, o te auwera, o te whanua hine tapura, o Nazi hau, o Nazi kuranui. Te mokupuna pita ko maru tu maurirere rātou ko Ruth Walker, ko hini hairero te ōpaipa ko paretene nata tuarua, te tamaiti mata mua aparaune te autawa nata raua ko mere nape tu maurirere. Te matua hungarei hoki o here maia raua ko Angela Ivory o rere kohu te purarere raua ko Christine Walsh, O anaru te autawa raua ko Tracy Clark, ko haimona te whairua raua ko Amanda Wilson, te tipuna o Alyssa Anahiremaia rātou ko Caleb, ko Harmony Brook. Te mātua kieke tipuna hoki o ana iramutu tamariki mokopuna katoa. Ko paratene nata te ingoa. What I've just said is part of the media statement the Nata Fano released following the death of Dr. Paratene Nata earlier this year. It's similar to what would be said on the Paipai, that's where the Faikoreroa speeches take place, stating who the person is by their whakapapa. Now, it may seem unusual to send this out in a media statement rather than what someone's accomplishments are, yet that's how Dr. Nutha or Dr. Pat wanted it, and it was in keeping with the pragmatic and what some may say challenging way the tangihana was held. Before we hear from his younger brother Wayne Nutha, who describes the tangi, here's a recording made in 2000 at Hoiti Marae in Tauloga Bay. Coincidentally, where Paratini would lie in state nine years later. Now the recording's at the annual Māori Medical Practitioners, Te Ohurata Hui. Libby Hakaraya, former presenter of the Radio New Zealand programme Whenua, is interviewing. I've, I've yeah, never been anywhere, you know, as I said. You know, geez, yeah, been here. That temporal thing we often talk about here, eh? We haven't gone anywhere. 
we've always been here. Atipuna, ifakatipu mai ikonek. We come out of this place. Yahu mai ife, yahu mai tefinua nei. Meona korero atangaroa ma mai ruakapanga meota atipuna. So we 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 come out of this place and we haven't really gone anywhere. We've gone tiro tiro around. Okay, yeah. So we've and and taken on the skill sets of, of modern technology, of modern knowledge and, and human the human science and in medicine and healing. And and yeah, and, and so yeah, I've I've gone on that journey. And yeah, went come back to went to Pornicare and worked with the bureaucracy for a while with the Ministry of Health and and I was saying earlier on and I think that's where i I've I've been very fortunate in having very very the relationships that I've you see I think one of my things is what I treasure most is relationships eh? you build relationships and, and my relationships I like to believe are long lasting and that's what I treasure treasure the human relationships and people that I meet over time always treasure there mm. and, and I suppose in, in due course they come to show fruit in a number of different areas and so I've gone my journey yet back to Wellington and Porirua Working with Ngāti Tua. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that I've had careers of working with, with iwi groups of various kinds, and now I come back to the Tairawhiti, working Tūranga Nui Akiwa, and now back home at, at Uawa, working amongst the uh, you know, and uh, yeah, with Ngāti Pra. Yeah, and I won't, yeah, just just gone for a tipi haere around it. <laughs> and yeah, I've always been from here, and yeah. Did you always see when you were back there at medical school, did you always see yourself coming home one day and doing exactly what you are doing, which is being the doctor for your people? Well, I don't think that came in, not at that time. I think I think people looked at, at their time of, of doing medicine as a source of income, and I think most people have these grandiose ideas of making lots of money and doing a whole range of other things, say. You know, developing wealth because those were the goals and values that were important at the time. Seemed to be, you know, because with in that Parker paradigm, it's about yeah, it's it's about if you can do both, you can enhance your wealth. Of course, wealth is health, all right then, and and um, yeah, yeah. Um, and provide service. Of course, it's a humanitarian type of service. You know, healing is a global sort of profession, and we're all healers. You know, within that holistic uh, Māori concept or understanding of what health is, and so we we, I think we're good at looking at not only health of individuals but health of groups of people, be it a family or a population or a community. You have those sort of perspectives, and I suppose you develop relationships within those communities to look at ways and means of how people can improve their own health and maintain good health. And so I've become advocates for all those things that try to keep people well. Um, yeah, try to keep people well. Yeah, so I've come home. Um, you come home to retire. but <laughs> and, and what it does show is that even though the intention was to come home to retire and, and to just to help out, in a kayafina role, as a, as a interesting a, eh? because I've turned it right around from being a doctor now to being a health worker. Eh? I just want to be a kayafina, eh? a health worker, to work with other people 
in that sort of in a yeah in a horizontal sort of way rather than a hierarchical sort of way alongside other people because I believe that's where the strength is people helping themselves and and you're only a resource of information, knowledge and skill that might add to their puteo, to their basket of knowledge for them to help themselves or help others around them. Understanding and underpinning that are the very important social and economic determinants of health and wellness. And that's why I say wealth is health. You know, if you have money, if you have wealth, you're more likely to be healthy. So issues like, like poverty or having, having no job and other major determinants, things that will improve people's health, I'm not too sure the impact that the doctor has on that. I think it's very little, quite frankly. <laughs> we certainly help keep people well and keep people out of pain. We're good at doing those things. And we're good at managing illness. Right? That's where our skills are. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting, eh? looking after sickness. Oh, and yeah. not wellness. And not wellness. Mm. Mm. But we talk rehabilitation maintaining independence and you heard this morning people talking about but is it healthy to be independent and the Māori paradigm is perhaps much more important to be independent we need each other we belong to a social unit or grouping of some kind to be healthy and you know the group has to be healthy and have to have good dynamics and good relationships to be healthy so what do you think of all these tauira then i mean there's a there's a new generation of well i think that's choice awesome People like me, I think this is long overdue, you know, the efforts of Te Oro to bring us all together as Māori. And, and the number of tawira that are coming through, I think it's absolutely, it's, it's magnificent. It's so magnificent, I believe it's unfair. Because what you're actually doing, and I've been involved in, in recruiting students and going to talk to, I get, you know, in this recruiting for people to do medicine, have had the opportunity on a number of occasions, you know, to visit schools. And you only go and talk to the seventh formers. Eh? And you only go and talk to seventh form Māori. So you're actually taking the academic, the cream of Māori intellect and academic performance to try to encourage them to do medicine. Yeah. When you think about it, I say, you know, you can say, we have the pick of the crop. Eh? And you put that all together. It, it, it's awesome, and that's why I say it, it, it's not fair, eh? It's, it's, it's not fair to other vocations or, eh, or yeah, that, that you, you, you have access to that, that talent, eh? Then, then, yeah. So do you think if this, this is a fair analogy, if I, uh, given you're from Tolaga, and you go down to your moana there, and if all the big crayfish came walking up, towards you, would you turn around and throw them all back and wait for the little wait ones? Wait for the little ones to come up. Give them a midi midi and say grow big. <laughs> yes, fair analogy. No, I, I just, and that's why I say it's one, you know, it just, for people like me that have been around for a while, it's a great sense of, of comfort. I think for, for me, you know, because that, that we see so many people that, that share the, the burdens that Māori doctors carry around with them. It, purely being Māori and being doctor, you know, very high expectations from within the the professional world, very high expectations too. Albeit, what's the word? It's um, it's intangible, but the, still there's still high expectation from the Māori community because you're a doctor. You know, that carries with it a you know a certain group of expectations and 
and and standards of of behaviour that go and expectations that go with that. Eh? Okay, so one has you know fairly high standards to maintain, both in in a range of one's wholeness. Eh? You know your your professional and ethical clinical performance, your personal behaviours. All right, then your personal life is. Is continue, a bit like politicians. Eh? It's under scrutiny. What you say in the community is 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 noted. So you know, and it's, it's in a very invidious, very powerful, I believe, very powerful. So Māori doctors are in very powerful positions. Eh? You know, they, they can speak with some authority or mana, and I think one has to 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 take care of that privilege. You hear me talk about kaitiakitanga, eh? about taking care of of the tongue or of knowledge, eh, of the privilege that's been accorded one, through one's hard work and one's whānau, because they've had, you know, you talk to the families of, of the students out there, you know, they're all absolutely proud, eh, of, of their tauira, eh, like any parent, eh, you know, you know, to, in training to become a doctor, and uh, most families and parents feel absolutely proud of that, eh. Oh, buttons coming out of the ears, <laughs> and so they should be. But need to understand too that that yeah, it it can be for many a, a very difficult journey, uh, you know, to maintain. So yeah, so those are the so so seeing these young ones here, it's choice, awesome. Yeah, and I, the world's not such a lonely place. world's not such a medicine's such not not a lonely place. Eh? And, and I think and that's a sense of relief and comfort that many of us older ones have. You see us around, just only a few balding people like me around here say, "Oh, isn't this lovely?" And and it re, it rests reassured that the next generation, you know, two generations down, are going to be well taken care of, eh? Because we're meeting now in a Māori setting, in the kawan that Chikanga's Māori. We try to use as much tereo, okay? Practice what we walk. Okay, some of the tawira might have a sense of discomfort with that because they're busy trying to to cope with a with a curriculum that's 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 tau, that's 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 in English or well, that's science. Let alone try to, you know, let alone try to maintain okay, the ngako Māori or their whakapapa Māori that's within them. Now, even though they have got tereo, all right then, but certainly, okay, they have the heart. Okay, and the whole, the soul that, that like one might term, and that cultural affinity or empathy of being Māori, and I think that that for me that's that's the most you know that's the most joyous thing I see in my heart. Okay, first and foremost, Māori. Dr. Paratini Nata in an interview from 2000. Now, one of the challenges Māori face, you know, in this world as we're becoming more technologically savvy and becoming more disconnected from each other, is how to maintain links to our Māori tanga or even our rural-based marae in a way that's meaningful and true to tikana Māori, which asks the question, how do you keep tikana or kawa alive? Is it through the continued repetition of an action so much you could walk through the steps blindfolded and then acceptance of this is, you know, that's just how things are done? Or is it by challenging, questioning and understanding the reasons behind actions? 
Now that's the question the Natafano asks of Tangihana, the most sombre and some would say ritual heavy of Māori occasions. Now I've been at a few Tangihana where there have been outbursts of haka, gunshot at the graveside, where wearing black is seen as a sign of respect and women are discouraged from wearing trousers. And while I've not necessarily agreed with many of those things, I haven't necessarily stopped doing them either. Now earlier you heard from Dr. Paratene Nata who passed away earlier this year. Now having been sick for some time, Paratene displayed the pragmatism he was renowned for in planning his tangihana, which as you'll hear truly reflected his personal philosophies. Yet plans are only as good as the whānau who carry them out on your behalf once you're dead. Wayne Nata, the younger brother of Paratene, describes the tangihana. Well, what we did, I suppose, we did four things. Uh, one, we um, live streamed it on a website so that it could be broadcast to people who couldn't be here physically. Uh, two, we, um, on his wishes and, and our beliefs as well, we asked that people um, not interfere with his spiritual journey, if that's a good way of putting it. In other words, we don't believe in God, um, but we do believe that um, our way to go somewhere, as Māori say a lot, but I don't think necessarily believe it. Um, three, in terms of... Um, we ask that people not um, promote violent messages or practices uh, at his tangi. Um, now, some took issue with this, and fair enough, um, because we do come from a culture of... Um, we have a violent culture in, in some instances. Uh, what do you mean by that, Wayne? Well, we are, there are times when we express anger um, in a particular way and um, and that, we're an aggressive race. Our, our brother was a medical doctor, he was a general practitioner and that was his life in terms of medicine. But more than that, his passion was in preventing violence um, and managing um, and particularly with men for change. Um, and he encountered so many and this is weekly, um, cases of violence, particularly in the home and from men towards women and children. Um, I think he might have become anesthetised to it, but he maintained a very strong uh, work ethic to help people um, prevent or um, change their behaviour uh, in terms of violence towards others. Now, as far as the Tangyanga went, that was the message that he wanted to give people. Um, and so if we, we actually... Uh, and, and how you do it on the marae, it, it varies. You can either be straight up with your own or, or couch it in words that uh, marae speak. Um, he didn't want people to do haka to him, and yet our brother was an exponent of haka. Uh, because for him, in some cases, haka was a very aggressive... And it is an aggressive uh, way of doing things. And, and the, but the message might be different. So he's 
they wanted to put it out there to make people think. So there was no haka conducted? Uh, well, no haka. There were, oh, there were a couple that were done in, 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 in a particular way. So, um, people generally, they, they were okay with it. They were okay with what, what he asked or what he conveyed through, through our paipai. And, and lastly, of course, he simply wanted people to be good to each other underneath it all. Now, if we could just talk through some of those things. So, by not interfering in the spiritual journey, not believing in God, I mean, how did that go down with the rest of the whānau? Uh, Well, the rest of the whānau is okay. I mean, it depends, I suppose. You know, the rest of the whānau knows what we're like. Um, And if I paint the picture, I suppose our our parents, well, not our parents, our mother in particular and our grandmother in particular were, were staunch Anglicans. Um, and and they come from that generation of people who who were very much um, part and parcel of the Christian faith, and we were brought up like that, and sent to those sorts of schools. Um, but we've always been a family that's asked questions and challenged things. We never we've never taken things for granted, and so one of the things that we we all challenge, and these are his brothers and sisters and our nieces and nephews to a certain extent, is our beliefs. What do we believe in? Uh, do we believe in a God? Uh, is it a colonial construct? Um, you know, uh, I, it, for me, and, and I, mean, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm any, no dummy, but for me it is a very much a colonial construct because you win the hearts and minds of people and you got everything else. That's so, how. Wayne, you're talking about Christianity. Yeah. Um, and the belief that there's one God, yeah, as opposed to taking a Maori, as opposed to a, a Maori belief system, um, and, and the plurality of that, which uh, is that there are many gods. Well, there are many gods, but there's also um, it's an understand it's understanding your own environment. You know, we're of the we're of the sea, we're of the land, we're of the trees, and all the of the sky. So that's our belief. So would it be fair to say that what your whānau was advocating, is advocating, is that you're trying to return back to what is tūturu Māori? Well, we, people may say that, uh, and yet, you know, I, I like that word tūturu Māori because I think it's bullshit, quite frankly. <laughs> people will use the term tūturu Māori as a... A, a way of in, in, engendering fear in someone, mm. um, you know. Um, so you mean things around tapu and noa? Yeah, tapu, so saying tapu you, can't noa, right. this, you, can't you can't do this, you can't do that, little restrictions, yeah, all that sort of stuff. And and I mean, there's there's some pragmat, pragmatism in that. And I suppose that's where we come back to. We're very pragmatic people in a sense. So uh, you know, when he made the point that when he dies, his body's going in the ground um, by by our parents. And his spirits are going to visit a few hills and go back to Hawaii somewhere, or up to the sky, wherever our rest of them are. Yeah. And he didn't want. He, he actually, you know, I mean, in public, he stated in public, "Please don't intervene. Intervene. Please don't interfere with my own spiritual journey." And 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 our relations were, were you know, on, on the outside, okay with that. In public, they were they were no problem. Uh, in private, I don't know because no one's spoken to me. Uh, in that regard, yes. Okay, so um, walk us through some of the ways that your whānau were assisting in the in Paratini's spiritual journey. Um, well, we talked a lot, and I mean, even before he was sick, 
and of course during the times when he was sick, uh, we talked at length about what, what he wanted to do. Initially, and this, and I'll say this even before he was sick, he wanted to to sit up like a tupapaku, yeah, tupapaku uh, to be propped up. Um, but he, as he got worse, he realised that um, physically, as a tupapaku, he, he may not be able to sustain it, in with his particular illness. Um, so he decided that it's okay if we had him lying down. Well, that's okay with us. Either or, it would have been okay. Um, in terms of the spiritual journey, well, um, it, it was quite clear for him. He wanted to visit um, his his particular maunga, Titi Rangi in Tolaga Bay here in Uawa, Pākaurangi, inland of Tolaga, of Ngāti Ira, our people, and Hikurangi, and say goodbye to his own and um, join the stars, so to speak. Hmm. Which is what we often refer to in a lot of... Uh, we talk at length about We do, we do talk at length about it, about, you know, visiting where we come from before we leap off... Somewhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great big void. <laughs> to head towards Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, we do, eh? Mm. We, we talk at length about it. Um, and yet I, you know, I mean, I like questioning. So, you know, um, like you, I've been to thousands of tangihana yeah. and I've often been growled at for, one, not wearing a <laughs> skirt, and two, for not wearing black. The other point that we made, that people not wear those, we ask people to be... Um, well, we ask people, you know, let's celebrate his life. We've had nine months of mourning for him. Let's celebrate his life and, and, and you know, be colourful. Mm. So we ask people, please don't wear things like black. Cause, I mean, and I'll go back to the colonial thing, because black really is a Victorian concept. It's not ours. If, if anything, green is ours. Mm. Mm. So uh, why is it, Wayne, I'm sure you would have encountered some resistance to that? Our parents and our grandparents in our lifetime that we knew of never wore black. And so black has never been part of our tangihanga on the East Coast, even though it does appear. And really, all colours of the rainbow, I can say with some authority that all the queer karanga weata that I knew and saw never wore black. But certainly some may have had green um, somewhere, but, you know, all colours of the rainbow. And so we ask people to... It really is just asking people to think, hey, and ask some questions of themselves and of their beliefs. Um, and our brother liked doing that. He liked challenging people's thinking so that they come up with some well-informed um, responses or answers to any situation they might be in. Now, the live streaming, how did that work? Um, in, 2000, in 2006, our father died, and uh, we... Some of our sisters and nieces and nephews came back to see him in his last couple of weeks but they had to go home and this is far like Australia and places like that and so we simply um, well not simply but we contacted someone who had the know-all and technology to um, live stream and so we um, <clears throat> we televised this tangy so that um, our whanau who weren't here could be part of that. You ask the, the techno-savvy ones, eh? And our nieces and nephews basically um, set things up. 
So we are uh, one of the things. I won't say we're lucky because you create luck, but with our, our school here, with Tolagaberia School here, we have staff and and students who are techno savvy, um, and so we're able to utilise equipment and skills. So we did that for the um, that was in 2006. So for Paratini's Tangi, it was a bit more organised. Um, we were able to register a website. Uh, Paratini did that to Papaku Life and um, engage a, um, a, a supply of the of the road, I suppose, if that's what it's called, um, in Wellington. And we did the rest as far as setting up the the link from the Marae to Shuri Telecom and providing the equipment, cameras, so forth, to do the filming. So that was all done locally and using our, our many our kids who... Uh, who know how to do those things. Which means that you had cameras all around the marae. We had uh, a wireless camera, uh, a, one um, standing still, and one of those, you know, those security cameras stuck up in the in the apai uh, that you can't see. So we had, yeah, about three cameras. So people were then able to log into a website and then they could just watch what was going on through yep. what they could see through these cameras? Yep, absolutely. So, Wayne, some people balk at seeing dead bodies in print. I mean, were there any issues around televising the tupapaku? Um, well, I suppose for, for Māori, you know, I would say that if... Uh, well, I wouldn't be so blunt as to say if, if you balk at seeing uh, tupapaku... Uh, then maybe you are uh, more non-Māori than Māori. But, um, I mean, Māori generally see their tūpāpuku, whether uh, live, not live live, but, you know, there in person or um, in print or televised. Um, if I was to say that the technology we've used and Māori generally used, for instance, to... Um, televise other uh, events and quotes um, then what's the difference uh, this is just another part of of life um, and but really the it's about being pragmatic the 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 reason we did it was to ensure that those people who could not come home for whatever reason could still be there and throughout the Tangyanga um, a number of us, and I mean, you know, quite a few, dozens probably, would w- were constantly receiving texts from uh, not just around the country, but from around the world, um, from people who were taking part, I suppose, asking so and so to get out of the way so they could see so and so, someone else, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, people, it's about connecting with your own who, who can't be here in, in person. And being practical about it, um, cost-wise, it was, um, you know, cost-wise, it might have cost us just under five hundred. And when you take into account people's airfares when they often yeah, are hauling it to get back to a tangihana, yeah. that's cheap, isn't it? It's cheap. It can be very cheap, especially if you own have some now uh, techno savvy and can access uh, skills and equipment. Seems like you fellas and whoever are quite 
techno savvy, eh? Oh, well, you, you know, the uh, <laughs> sky's the limit. <laughs> yeah. Now, when it came to uh, burying Paratini, yeah. again, you guys did it a little differently. Um, we He wanted to be wrapped up in, you know, again, being pragmatic, you know, go back to our father, when, when we realised our father was on his way, and about three days before that, my brother and I basically banged together a coffin for him. Um, and we've always been against doing things for the sake of doing things, like engaging an undertaker, for instance, that, you know, Māori pay enormous <laughs> amounts of money to undertakers for things that they could do themselves, bar the actual... The law prevents them from embalming, but other things they can do for themselves. Again, being pragmatic, he wanted to be wrapped up in, in flax from where he was brought up at a place called Otanga in Mangatuna. And so some of our nieces who are weavers, they made a, they put him in a ketsa, I suppose, a big uh, whariki, wrapped him up and sewed him up, and um, that was his we buried him like that. And then, Wayne, did you undertake the other things that usually follow a tangihana, like takahi te whare, tramping yeah, the house? We, we, yeah, I mean, you do those things in a particular way. So we, I mean, our, our takahi whare, in a sense, is making sure that we were there with our nephews, his, his sons, and, and um, our sister-in-law, spend the night with them. Yeah, get on with the life, I suppose. That's our takahi whare. Um, I mean, I've been to Takahifare since a kid, and I've seen some strange ones. <laughs> I've seen a lot of drunk ones, too. Yep. <laughs> and that's not us. But, yeah, you know, it's about bringing people back and getting rid of the, the ghosts, so to speak, if any are there, and getting people on with life. So from what you've just described, it seems like you're stripping down to the realness, <laughs> you know, if yeah. that's the right word yeah, for it. It is. It is. Um, of what a tangihana is is about. But yeah, not just a tangihana, but also, uh, I suppose, in general terms, what tikanga is about. And and I think Māori appreciate that tikanga is a dynamic. Um, it's a changing dynamic. It does change um, and has changed and will continue to change. Um, and so it's how you adapt I suppose, the, the basic tenets of any tikanga to the situation you're in or to the time you're in. Um, and, and we, I mean, I, well, we believe that tikanga, if it's not pragmatic anymore, then it needs to disappear or change. Um, because I think that tikanga is essentially based on being pragmatic about things um, and doing things that will benefit um, people um, and even if I mean we can become all academic about it uh, but if it's if it doesn't have a, a practical application in our daily lives then um, it becomes meaningless um, I made a comment to someone about uh, uh, our niece heard a speech by Mason Deary once and he was talking about tapu and he said, well, here's my definition of tapu. If um, I get on a bike, a push bike to riders, my head becomes tapu, so I better put a helmet on and keep it like that. 
And I mean, you know, that's a pragmatic way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and if we, if we really look back into how our old people were, they were always governed by practicality, eh? They were very much always. governed by practicality. You know, that's why I remember one of my uncles telling me why we didn't bury our supapaku. You know, because it, what it did is it effectively made that whenua tapu, which means it was useless for growing kaion. That's right. Mm. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And it's all about practicality. I suppose if you look at the other end of it is that I know of, of a lot of um, our were buried along the coastline because the sand was soft. <laughs> but, and it's easier to think. <laughs> but if you go inland to the hills, then they're all in caves. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Go away and get a tohuingo. No uawa. Kianet bahe ko tolaga bay. The tairafiti. Ko okuiwi. Ko teitanga hawiti. Ko ngati ira. Ko ngati prohuki. I'm Mariah Rakraku and this is Te Ahika, and that was Wayne Nata talking about the tangihana for his tuakana, Paratene Nata, held earlier this year. Post-Second World War, hostels started sprouting up all over Aotearoa to accommodate Māori as they shifted from the country into the city. Now, some of these, like the one in Hamilton, were for girls whose only chance of going to a high school was if they moved from their rural homes and lived at the hostel. That's how Te Rehua Marae in Christchurch started off. Now, around about the same time in the late 1950s, the Department of Māori Affairs was on a mission, and that was to encourage Māori into skilled trades. We're talking wallpaper hanging, plumbing, engine mechanics, and carpentry apprenticeships. A bit like the drive to place Māori women into domesticated services as cleaners and housemaids, like what the late Ngāti Raukawa and Te Arawa Wahine Mihipeka Edwards describes in her book Mihipeka The Early Years, but trade training targeted Māori men. So in conjunction with local, what what I guess we call these days polytechs in the communities of Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland, hostels were set up to house the influx of rural Māori men. Many of my uncles and cousins from Waimana and Ruatoki were drafted from Oportiki College and they ended up in Christchurch, which for them, they were aged around 15 or 18 at the time, was a pretty daunting experience. Māori was their first language and it was the first time they'd been in the South Island, let alone the city. They felt isolated and suffered culture shock and while some returned back to the North Island, many ended up settling down and bringing up families in the South Island. Now Terry Ryan was one of those, coming from Whangarei and making his home in Christchurch, where he's become somewhat of an expert on Te Rehua Marae and its role in the trade training scheme era, as he explains to Justine. Look at Terry Ryan, ahau, he whanauai, he whangarei te taitokarau, some years ago, uh, te taitokarau waikato maniapoto, Mahianau e irote te koti whenua Māori Ko tai mai au ki te waipau namu 1965 the Maori Women's Welfare Officer. I, 
Ahari maiau ki konei i raru te maru o tahahi witiri ana mai i te rāhui tāni Hamilton and they said Terry will, will ring the Reverend Fork and him up Sister Hini Whare Maru and you can stay at Rehua and I've been here since I don't often say kōrero pēnā because you don't but things have happened lately and I thought I should say a little bit about me. Mm. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> I'm the secretary, I think I'm the only secretary of Rehua Marae, but from way back. And uh, I've seen a lot of chair people come and pass on. Uh, lovely, lovely memories, yeah. And so here we are in the Farenui of Rehua Marae, and let's call it all about this, this particular Farenui. Te hituri whakapapo o tēnei marae kahuri ki te um, hāhi wetere ana. And when I say that, I'm, I'm aware of the history of the wetere ana ki te waipaunamu, uh, te matai, te, te mahi wetere ana kei a Māngungu Mission Station Hokianga and tētei kraua called Tawao, he was a layman of the church, came down Maita Taitokaroki, Kokorara to Banks Peninsula, 1839, he arrived and preached to some 2,000 people as was recorded. There's not that many there now, maybe 20. And uh, from there to Pukataraki, which is Waikawaiti, which is Karatani, which is Wakawaiti if you're into races. Nayane, mm. it's down in Ota- uh, North Otago, and they set up the Maori mission station and preached, uh, trained numerous men. Rawiri Tamaire is there, Paturumupu, um, Horomonapohu, and they did great work. And Te Koti Tarato with the Paho there, he came from Wesley College, Three Kings, Auckland, 1858 to Rāpaki, where he married into a local girl and he kept that vision going of the early people. Uh, he passed away in 1896 and then you, you had Neho Papakura, Te Ate He came south to Murihiku and he married a, a part Ngaitau girl, Blanche Whitelock. And she passed away and he married Auntie Ivy Wetere, who, who passed away last year at Waitara, Komato Fletcher, was 106. Oh, yes. She was under the name of Ivy Wetere, Tuti's mother. And uh, after Neho passed away, we had Matarai Taurua. I'm going a little fast here. Yep, okay, Tupai. Mai Ngāpui, Hiwi's dad, Hiwi Taurua's dad, he came down to Fulan the Wetriana position. He married Auntie Bess Couch at Rapaki and uh, after he passed away, Piripirakana, my uh, Mangamuka, Nalangapui, and he married the sister, Auntie May Couch. That's Elaine Dell's mum and dad. Oh, yes. And uh, after Matarai, Uncle Wira Couch, the second photo. He took up that mantle for Te Waipaunamu and he died in 1975 and after that was Watitahiri from Waima 
Tai took it out. He married another couch, a rock and a couch. So this this constant interesting tie with <laughs> Napui drew the hahi. Wow. But I just mentioned Uncle Wera. Uncle Wera, it was he and a co-matuk, Joe Moss and Reverend Fawkingham, who were involved with a Ratana church hui at Hamilton in 1949. And they saw what Tapuia had done at Hamilton. And what had she done, she had was worried about the girls bringing in produce for the Maori Battalion, World War Two, nowhere to sleep, under hedges, under trees, produce kai, kākau for the boys overseas. So she purchased a house at 4 Bryce Street, Hamilton, and named it Tarahui Wahine. And these three kaumātua came back south, said, we'll do the same, mm. which was remarkable. What an awesome story. You, you you didn't have the population mm, yeah. mm. and there's lots of ins and outs there. But they did. They purchased a property in Stanmore Road, two three eight, and got about eighteen, nineteen girls from, from Canterbury. And uh but after a year they thought, No, we would rather society was different. You know, this is just after World War Two and they thought, No, we'll well, we want to look at some boys. So they went up Mahia Peninsula and Fraser Town, Taranga, Manutuke, Upatama, that area, and said to the old people, look, we've got a, a little contract going with the Polytech Christchurch, us and the Hahi Wetriana, and we'd like to bring some of your boys to train. In those days, three trades, only carpentry, painting, mechanic and uh, the old people agreed and thus trade trainee without government without government assistance high, yeah. and we are we're proud now because time has moved on and we have a, a history which is beautiful um, trade trainee actually started here in New Zealand and they we had names like those early names from Kohinganu the Ngati Pahauera McRoberts or that boy on TV, three. Mike McRoberts. His dad was here. Yeah, Wainahus, Hawkins, Stewart's, which was his Huata. Uh, McRoberts said that one. McGregor's, Tippers, Cars. Oh, they're all in their 70s now. And these are the names? Of surnames of the first boys that came. For trade training. For trade training, right here. And I do know that the old to a men said, oh, we'll build a rec room. And apparently we said, oh, we'll put a Maori carving in. But I say, it's the power of our old, of our women <laughs> folk. They said, no way, you're not making tokenism. Let's do it right or don't do it at all. So thus, this whare the seed was planted. And we had great women. Auntie Kui Kamo's looking at me there. That's Niyama <laughs> Kamo. Grandmother. Oh, okay. And there's all the couches Auntie Hene, Togi, Uncle Wera, Auntie Jane Mani, who was a Tirikatane, Auntie Ruku Arahanga, Auntie Lou, Auntie Mata Newson, another Trigurthan, that's Tirikatane. They're all there, and they said no. So there was many meetings held right here next door, because the house wasn't built, and Rapaki and Tomatu, Wairewa, and they said, right, we're going to build a Whare Nui 
which covers New Zealand, because by this time, 1956-57, boys were coming from all parts of New Zealand, because the government adopted the scheme round about, oh, a little bit later, 1960s, you had Sylvia Park in Auckland, Te Rauhe Tane in Hamilton, Trentham Abad, and Te Kaihanga, Rickerton. So that was the origins of the thinking of a Farinui. So the old people, I believe it was the first house in New Zealand to be carved to cover the tribal areas of, of New Zealand so that the boys, some came in time from Te Hapua, mm. the Kao, um, they all had a tipuna here. So the east and west popo depict Teka Maui, Waikato, Taitokaro, Waiariki. Kapai. And the kaupapa, the whakapapa, rather, is Takitimu. So in the maho there, you have Paikia, mm. Pororangi, Tamatiariki, Nui, and Kairunga. Rangatira teko teko keirunga is Tahu Pōtiki. And the, the north, sorry, the east and the west, of course, is Tipuna mai te waipaunamu, Ngaitahu, Ngāti Māmoi, Waitā, but also the top of the island, which is also Waitā, Ngāti Kōta, Ngāti Kuia, Rangitāni. Mm. And it worked. The boys came... And it was the boys in the early 70s decided when, you see, after the war, issues of, of Maori weren't to the fore. Fortunately, I think right now it's beautiful. There's been a Maori renaissance mm. and, and it's really has. affecting the Pākehā side without them realising it, the, the, the attitude of the mind. And we're becoming really beautiful New Zealanders, you know, though we haven't often got that far to think that way, but <laughs> we really are. Mm. It's quite a buzz. So those old boys who by now were married and all that, they we got together and we built a farikai, which I'll take you in later, because we just had a farinui and a little kitchen, which is now part of our ablution block. Mm. Uh, That's why let's call it all about the name Rehua. Rehua? Rehua was actually named by Henare Tiara Jacobs. That's him there with a little portai on. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And, and it was named, it's a beautiful name, it covers the South Pacific. Because whether you go to Tonga, Rarotonga, Tahiti, Samoa, you come across the spirit, the Tawairua. Or, or Rehua. Oh. And I hear the old people, Hōhua, e tai o ngā tūpāpa kua tākoto ana, haere ki te pūtai tanga o Rehua. Um, and I like to describe it in that way because it covers the South Pacific and all our islander relations, they come from the, the, the spirit of Rehua too. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a strong name. Lovely name, and this is Rehua, yeah. And there's also a photo in front of us of the uh, the, the master carver of this Farinui. Beautiful man, Henare Paikiatuka, I remember him. He came down from Kaipara Harbour, Kaiwaka Betli, and he lived in a caravan out the back. 
he and his wife Mire, and all this this timber totara was donated by Ngati Irakehu of Banks Peninsula and it came into the Addington Timber Company and he he initially was the he was the master carver but in the 1960s approx he did ask for a little bit of help and he had Rangi Hetit, Joe King, Penny Taipa and John Taipa Charles Tuero, who was from Rarotonga, and they came and assisted him in the in the last months because he wasn't too well. Mm. And when Kone, he went to Orake, Orake, Auckland, to do the house there before it was, it had been burnt, damaged a little. Oh, oh yes. That was before the yeah. happening. He Nari Paikia lovely man, very humble, great work, and yet he sailed away, and you know, it was just myself and Ricky Ellison over there to see him off, but that's how he, he, he you know, mm. beautiful, eh? That is beautiful. Yeah, lovely man. His, his brothers and sisters' descendants are in Christchurch, and different times because of that link. Yes, it's very, very important. Yeah, we get lots of tangihangas and in fact I had occasion first time to decline one the other day because we didn't know who she was and uh, I mean she's never been here there was no whakapapa Mm. And we thought, right, well, we can't become like an undertaker because it's it's not a, a marae in a country where you know. We're in a city and we've made a stand. Um, you've got to have a whakapapa connection or have yep. come and mow the lawn and weed it. coming when, when you're gone. Mm. Well, anyway, that's another story. Aye. And so who has opened its... Arms to thousands of oh, people. Yes. Oh yes, because when you look at the, the thousands of trade training boys that have come through since 1952, um, every year we, every year we had a, had a boy that would have come through here, and that being so, a lot of them are still here. The trade training scheme changed the face of Christchurch forever, because even in my time when I arrived, well, there was no TV. It was very, very strict and, and rightfully so with the hahi. And Sunday was the great day and beautiful kai on a Sunday. Mm. We, look, we all look forward to that. And, of course, the man of the day was the mailman. You got letters, no oh, texts. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, no cell From Rotoria or Whangarei or New Plymouth, from whānau from home. And you really look forward to that because you couldn't go home because it cooked straight. You couldn't oh. just hop on a bus and disappear like it did happen in Hamilton and Auckland. Of course. And toll bars on the phone. So, did but, you feel isolated in that period? Yes. It was like cutting the umbilical cord from home. You just couldn't go home. And uh, you, you became a whānau, like a hapu in itself. With Rehua here, Takaihanga later at Rickerton and later again Tiaranga 
which was the Catholic hostel. But you go down to the um, square, that's what you did on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. That was what you did. And the Parker people of Christchurch would come into the square to see a Maori boy. I can't believe that now, but I remember those days. And, uh, of course, they said, oh, Joe, next Sunday, come home for tea and we'll look after you. And that's the, that's the start of the kind of Maori mixed marriages. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. And, and that's lovely. Yeah. You know, that's all lovely. There's some lovely people in Christchurch that did Afi, the, the Trey Trainee boys. Oh, can't A lot of them certainly went home once they fixed their trade. I think of Tom Eaty. I saw Tom Eaty on the telly the other night. He was here. Oh, can't play. He was here as a little boy from Tuhoi in 1967. His trade was painting. Painting? Oh, I mean, he still paints to <laughs> this very day. <laughs> yeah, no, there's lots of, lots of memories. The boys did the call five five patterns. Meritoka and the WEA Maori Club and ladies from Wairewa Taumatu Rapaki and the Ratna ladies from Tuahiwi did the tuka tuka panels. And, um, yeah, they've all, all gone, actually, now. It's quite sad to think that way, but, yeah. Mm. It's a busy little marae. We've had St Andrew's College all day today. Their tutor's still out the back doing some assessment. Oh, okay. Mm, that's all fine, though. Yeah. Oh, kapai, Terry. Yeah. Dr. Terry Ryan explaining to Justine the role urban marae Terihua plays in the Christchurch community. Now, remember, at our website, radionz.co.nz forward slash tiahika, there's photos of the marae as well as podcasts of previous programs. My decoy bird. Uyukurangi te maunga ko waiapu te awa ko horau tā te waka ko te whanaurua taupare te hapu ko ngāti porau te iwi. Ko neihana tōku nei ngō. Hoi anō, ko tēnei te mutunga o te ahikā, hoki mai anō e te iwi. He mihi atu tēnei ki ngā kai kōrero, mina hoa mahi tēnei wiki. Hei tērā wiki, mauri ora, tātou katoa. <tune>